You may have heard these two words, equity and equality, used a lot in our society today when discussing justice. But how does the Bible describe or define equity and equality? Is it similar to how people or even our government defines it? Should Christians strive for equity or equality as we pursue justice? You know, this subject is not simple or easy to address. It originally took me a month to merely try to understand it and then be able to present it. If I learned nothing else while writing this study, I learned that there is many things that we ought to learn and that this subject is very complex. Nevertheless, I hope that some of the topics covered will help you to better think through, understand, and bring clarity to a Christian understanding of equity and equality. We will start with what are equity and equality. First, let's make sure we have a proper understanding of the definitions of these two words. You know, on November 1st, on last year, Kamala Harris posted this video on Twitter discussing the difference between equity and equality. The text of the video reads as follows. So there is a big difference between equality and equity. Equality suggests all everyone should get the same amount. The problem with that is that not everybody is starting out from the same place. So if we are all getting the same amount, but you start out back there, and I start over here, we could get the same amount, but you are still going to be that far back behind me. It's about giving people the resources and the support they need so that everyone can be equal on equal footing and then <coughs> compete on equal footing. Equitable treatment means we all end up at the same place. <coughs> Another definition given by Wisdom Salem State University in North Carolina defines them as the following. Equality is typically defined as treating everyone the same and giving everyone access to the same opportunities. Meanwhile, equity refers to a proportional representation by race, class, gender, etc. in those same opportunities. To achieve equity, policies and procedures may result in an unequal distribution of resources. For example, need-based financial aid, research money especially and specifically for low-income students, although unequal, this is considered equitable because it is necessary to provide access to higher education for low-income students. You may also be familiar with this image that I have over here defining equity and equality. I bet you have seen this picture in many places. While these definitions and illustrations are helpful to an extent, they are often vague or loose 
to carry with them assumptions that got unchallenged. But a helpful distinction in thinking through the common uses of these two words is to distinguish between treatment and outcome. Treatment and outcome. In treatment, equally, equality refers to treating everyone the same, regardless of their circumstances. Whereas equity takes a person's circumstances and needs into consideration. You know the Greek philosopher Aristotle articulated this fundamental principle of justice, and he articulated this in this way. Equals should be treated equally, and unequals, unequally. But when discussing outcomes, equity and equality are often used interchangeably. To have an equitable outcome is usually defined as having equal outcomes. As Kamala Harris seems to articulate when she said, equitable treatment means we all end up at the same place. However, as the definition given by the Winston-Salem State University indicates, equity can also mean proportional representation by race, by class, by gender. Thus, it's important to clarify whether one is discussing treatment or outcome, equity or equality, to have a better definition of these two words. But for the purpose of this study, while we, we will be focusing more on the aspect of equity and equality of outcome. But how does the Bible define equity and equality? How does the Bible define those two words? The Bible addresses both equity and equality as aspects of true justice. Yes, true justice. The Bible uses the word equity a number of times in the Old Testament. One example is in Psalms 99, verse 4, which says, The king's strength also loves justice. You have established equity, you have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Another example that we have is in 2 Samuel chapter 8, verse 15. We reads, So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered <coughs> justice and equity to all his people. So as we see equity, it's an important part of biblical justice. However, it is not given an exact definition in the Bible. Someone defined equity as the spirit of the law behind the letter. Justice is the application for the spirit of equity. In other words, equity looks toward what a law was intended to do and seeks to just and judge one person on that basis. Not judge solely based on what the letter of the law says. The word equality now also appears a number of times throughout the Bible. 
and it can denote equal amounts of something, of something measurable, like money, woods, or time. That is written in Exodus chapter 30, verse 34. There shall be equal amounts of each. And Ezekiel chapter 4, verse 5, that says, I have assigned you the same number of days as the years of their sin. It can also refer to using the same standard for everyone, such as weight and measures used in trade. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 35 and verse 36. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 13 through verse 16. And Proverbs chapter 20, verse 10. Or the same laws according to Leviticus chapter 24, verse 22 that says, You shall have the same law for the stranger and for one from your own country. For I am the Lord your God. Or it can refer to comparing the, the qualitative attributes of two persons or things, like status, divinity, or beauty. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 5 says, the living God is speaking about the dead idols of Israel. He said, to whom would you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we should be alike. Philippians chapter 2 verse 6 says, Who being in the form of God, talking about Jesus, did not consider in robbery to be equal with God, the Father. Throughout the Bible, the principle of equality is plainly seen in other ways. As we know, humans... We share a fundamental equality with one another being created equally in God's image. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and verse 27. Then God said, let us make man in our own image according to our likeness. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. But listen to what Proverbs chapter 22, verse 2 says. The rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. And Job has this to say in Job chapter 31, verse 15. Did not he who made me in the womb make them? Did not the same one form us both within our mothers? But another principle of equality is that we all have committed sin. We have all committed sin according to Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For there is not, listen, for there is not difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we all share the same needing of redemption through Jesus Christ. Remember Acts chapter 15, verse 11. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Now Romans chapter 10 verse 12, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all 
who call upon him. Moreover, there is no partiality with God. We are equal. Acts chapter 10, verse 34, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality. For there is no partiality with God. Romans chapter 2, verse 11. But Ephesians chapter 6, verse 9, reads, And you masters, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. When discussing justice and the law, there are instances where a strict equality is required and everyone is treated similarly. Exodus chapter 30 verse 15, the rich shall not give more and the poor shall not give less. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 15, you shall not be partial to the poor nor honor the person of the mighty. And there are instances where that is not the case. And I believe this is equity. Leviticus chapter 5, verse 7. If he is not able to bring a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord for his trespass, which he has committed, two doves or two young pigeons, one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering. Same book. Leviticus now, verse 11, same chapter, 5. But if he is not able to bring two doves or two young pigeons, then he whose sin shall bring for his offering one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a sin offering. He shall put no oil on it, nor shall he put frankincense on it, for it is a sin offering. And listen to Leviticus chapter 14, verse 21. But if he is poor, but if he is poor and cannot offer it, then he shall take one male lamb as a trespass offering to be waived to make atonement for him. One ten of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering along of oil. Now, talking about biblical justice, talking about biblical justice, in biblical justice, there is a distinction between equality and equity. Equality seeks a subjective outcome without regard to the truth. In other words, equality is outcome-based, whereas Equity is truth-based. When it comes to justice, as Scripture teaches that we are to judge with equity, not with equality. And that principle is underscored in John chapter 7, verse 24, where Jesus says very clearly, <coughs> Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. 
First Kings chapter 3, verse 16 through verse 27 provides an excellent example of biblical distinction between equality and equity. If you go with me, follow along as I read. Now two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. One of them said, Pardon me, my lord. This woman and I live in the same house, and I had a baby while she was there with me. The third day after my child was born, these women also had a baby. We were alone. There was no one in the house but the two of us. During the night, this woman's son died because she laid on him. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side, while I, your servant, was asleep. She put him by her breast and pulled her dead son by my breast. The next morning I got up to nurse my son, and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw that he wasn't the son I had born. The other women said, No, the living one is my son. The dead one is yours. But the first one insisted, No, the dead one is yours. The living one is mine. And so they argued before the king. The king said, This one says, My son is alive and your son is dead. While, the, while that one says, No, your son is dead and mine is alive. Then the king said, Bring me a sword. So they brought a sword, a sword for the king. He then gave an order. The king did. Cut the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. The woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of love for her son and said to the king, Please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the other said, Neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. The king gave his ruling. Give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is his mother. So as we see in this scripture, one woman wanted equality, whereas the other woman wanted equity. King Solomon judged with equity, not equality, which meant that one of those two women went home without a baby. Now, biblical justice is a matter of equity, not equality. Yes, as I said before, there is a huge difference and is not an insignificant one. The word equity first appears in a scripture in Psalm 9 verse 8 where David speaking of God writes he rules the world in righteousness and judges the peoples with equity the word equity is the Hebrew noun measure it is an architectural term that denotes a straightness 
level, evenness, smoothness, uprightness, fairness, truth, order, integrity, and rightly as an adverb. Such definitions are very broad, but seem to capture the underlying core principle of justice and how God will judge a situation. In other words, the word measure means to judge with a straight line, with no defects or irregularities or deformities. This word is used only 19 times in the Old Testament. But there are those today within the various religious groups who are preaching and living a gospel of equality. <coughs> when what they should be preaching and living is a gospel of equity. Equality meant that a baby would have been killed and divided in two in the aforementioned passage. But equity seeks to objectively determine what is truth and what is right. And consequently, to render just decisions solely on the basis of what was objectively determined to be true and right, regardless of the outcomes. On the other hand, we have equality, and equality seeks a subjective outcome without regard to the truth, without regard to the truth. In other words, equality is outcome-based, whereas equity is truth-based. When it comes to justice, as scriptures teaches that we are to judge with equity in mind, not with equality. That principle, as I mentioned before, is on the score in John chapter 7, verse 24, where Jesus says, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. King Solomon abided by that principle he didn't judge according to appearance, but with righteous judgment. Which meant that one of those two women will leave his presence disappointed. Biblically speaking, equity or truth is the standard. Yes, it is the standard, regardless of the outcome. Believers, Christians, should never combine equity and equality. They are two different Concepts. According to the scripture, the question is never what is fair, but what is equitable. Fair or equality will have been King Solomon killing the child and dividing it in two. That would have appeased one of the women, and yet it wouldn't have been the equitable thing to do as far as the other women was concerned. King Solomon knew this. What motivated him to judge in favor of one woman and not the other was the biblical standard of equality. Yes, that was the biblical standard of equity, not the worldly standard of equality. 
And that's what we all should want. Equity regardless of the outcome. Remember also that the women who was comfortable in dividing the baby in half was also a liar. She lied. My point is this, in God's economy, in God's economy, equity, objective truth, matters more than equality, subjective outcome. An equitable outcome is not always the reality in this world, as we have seen many times in our society. Then again, we should never expect perfect justice in a world that lies in the power of the devil, according to 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. Nevertheless, among believers, about followers of Christ, equity is a biblical standard, not equality. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 3 says, To receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. Same book, Proverbs chapter 2, verse 9, we find, Then you will understand righteousness, and justice, equity, and every good path. Last but not less important, if you go with me to Matthew chapter 20, verse 1 to verse 6, 16, Matthew chapter 20, verse 1 to verse 16, let's look at the parable of the workers in the vineyard. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and send them into his vineyard. About the nine morning, about the nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found <coughs> still others standing around. He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his four men, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last one, higher, and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came, and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us? Who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day? But he answered one of them, I have not been unfair to you, friend. 
Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't, have, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Now tell me, when you heard this parable of the workers in the vineyard, did it make you excited? Were you thrilled when you heard that the workers who had worked all day long in the hot sun were getting the same day's wages as those who work only for one hour? I think not. Let's face it. This is not one of Jesus' most popular parables. And the reason is that many people love to hate this parable. Because the parable runs against the reign of one of our most deeply held values. That of work hard and reward, right? The more you work and the more productive you are, the more you should get paid. I don't know many who will disagree with this. And this is the complaint of those who work all day. These who were hired last work only one hour, and you have made them equal to us. You know, here, this parable provokes one of the most primitive cries of childhood. When one sibling gets a better deal than another, the one who feels cheated screams, but that's not fair. And so it goes. Some seem to get more than they deserve, while others get less. It doesn't seem right. But before we dismiss this parable and put it back on the shelf mark, Bible passages I don't want to deal with, or Bible passages not to be taken very seriously, let's consider the possibility that there is a great lesson to be learned here. What is going on in this parable is the battle between human justice and God's justice. A battle between our will and God's will. And even though we say we just want to get what we deserve, what the most we want and need is something far greater. And this is what I hope you hear today. That when the love of God reigns in our hearts, we are brought into community with each other. And we experience the fullness of life not as a payment or something that we deserve, but as a gift of grace and love. Remember the scriptures that says, Do not think out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. But listen to this parable, the first two chapters, the first two verses. 
a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard, he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day. You know, this was considered the basic subsistence for a man to feed his family for that day. The landowner then went out at 9 o'clock, at noon, at 3 o'clock, and at 5 o'clock, and hired more workers. He told them simply that he would pay them what was right. Sounds good so far, right? Well, in our minds, we already got it figured out. They are going to get a portion of that one denarius, according to our standards, that be fair. At the end of the day, the landowner had all the workers lined up, or starting with it, with those who came at five o'clock. He paid them a denarius, a full day's wages for working one hour. It's still no problem. If he paid one denarius for one hour's work, then he must be going to pay one denarius per hour to those who work all day. That's what they thought. This is where the parable takes an unexpected turn. For as the workers can receive their wages, he paid them all the same, one denarius each. No matter how long they work, they got paid the same. What happened? Hey, that's not fair. They complained. The landowner was not playing by their rules. Never mind that. They got exactly what was promised, right? The fact that the others got the same was too difficult to handle. The landowner replied, Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? But what was it about those workers? What was it about those workers who worked all day that made them so angry when the others got paid the same? You know, the first problem was the fact that they were obviously working for the pay and not <coughs> out of sense of purpose or pleasure. And this is a good question that we do well to ask, what is it that motivates you to do what you do? Whether you are employed full-time or serve as a volunteer, whether you work in the community or around the house, what motivates you to do what you do? What is it? If it's money or recognition or the praise of others, be careful. Because most jobs don't pay enough to satisfy a healthy ego. Mm -hmm. If what you're doing isn't self-satisfying and self-fulfilling, you're likely to harbor resentment and anger about doing it. Then when someone comes along doing the same job and gets paid more, you're likely to feel as resentful as the workers in the parable. You know, only as you truly enjoy what you're doing, you will not be able to look over your shoulder 
and compare your situation with others. If the workers who work all day had a good attitude about their work, they wouldn't have resent those who only work for one hour. When you are in the right vocation and you got the right attitude, the longer you work, the better. You start to see things different. You enjoy the day at work. God justice arises out of a gracious invitation right there to use our gifts and our abilities to the glory of God and to the benefit of others. We heard the scripture, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. But a second problem with that discontent workers in the parable is that they lack a healthy sense of gratitude. Think about it. Have you ever been out of work? Have you ever applied for a job and gotten turned down? I can tell you it's not fun. Can you remember how grateful you were when you got a call or a letter offering you a job? Well, what happens to that feeling of gratitude once you are on that job for a while and then the new wears off? Isn't that when we begin to complain and find fault? Those who are grateful to be employed have little to complain about. It's when gratitude gives way to the routine that we become discontent <laughs> and envy those who seem to have a better deal. I remember my first job. I was thrilled to make a few bucks. I first began to work in a tiny house used as a factory when I was eight. I worked at making a school backpacks and I got 10 pesos a day. I will never forget my first paycheck. You know, it was 50 pesos, like $2.50 for a week. I could hardly wait to go back to work the next day after school. Well, what happens to that sense of excitement? As time goes by, if you are not careful, you lose your enthusiasm and start to see your work not as a chance to be fulfilled and get ahead, but as a necessary evil to be endured. The more we are grateful, for the opportunity to serve and to contribute and to work, the less concerned we are likely to be over the working conditions or benefits. And something else about gratitude, it keeps us humble. If we are, if we are grateful, it keeps us humble when we stop to consider those less fortunate. You know the old proverb that says, I complain because I have no shoes. 
until I met a man who had no feet. The more you consider how blessed you are, the more you are able to look upon those less fortunate with compassion instead of resentment. This brings up an interesting aspect of the parable to consider. That perhaps those who were hired last have been left standing idle all day, not because they didn't want to work or because they didn't try to get a job, but because they were the least fit to work, perhaps too old, too frail, too crippled or lame, or too mentally incompetent to be hired out. In the parable, just justice, God's justice, is that everyone got to work, and everyone was given the same thing, the essential earnings to feed his family. We see here the inequity of their different hours of work was offset by the inequity of their different strengths and abilities. And this is God's justice. This is God's justice. Not that we get what we deserve. Not that we get what we want. But we get what we need. That's right. We don't get what we deserve or what we want. We get what we need. Psalm 67 verse 4 says, Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you, O oh God, shall judge the people with equity and govern the nations on earth. Psalm 89, verse 14 says, Equity and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Finally, the problem with the workers who complain the loudest is that they fail to recognize their relationship with each other. Or to put it in another way, the offensive of God's justice is softened when the all-day workers <coughs> and the five o'clock workers, or one-hour workers, stop seeing each other as us and them, and they start seeing each other as we. And I'll tell you, there is a lot of that going around today, sadly. There is a play based on this parable in which is depicting two brothers trying to work. John is strong and capable. Philip is just as willing, but has lost a hand in an accident. When the landowner comes, John is taken in the first wave of workers. And as he labors in the field, he looks up in the lane for some sign of Philip. Other workers are brought to the field, but Philip is not among them. John is grateful to have the work, but feels empty and sad, knowing that Philip had, has the same needs. 
Finally, the last group of workers arrive, and Philip is among them. John is relieved. He is relieved to know that Philip will get to work at least one hour. But as the drama unfolds, and those who came last get paid a full day's wages, John rejoices, knowing that Philip will have the money necessary to feed his family. When it comes his turn to stand before the landowner and receive his pay, instead of complaining as the others did, John throws out his hand and says with tears in his eyes, Thank you, my Lord. Thank you, my Lord, for what you have done for us today. You see, God's justice arises out of a sense of community in which we see the one-hour workers as our neighbors, as our brothers and sisters, who needs are every bit as important as ours. Next time you get angry when someone else gets more than she or he deserves, ask yourself, what does this say about my relationship with this person? Would I feel the same if this were my brother, my sister, my father, my mother? Would I feel the same? Well, I suppose when it's all said and done, will I always feel but about the inequities of life and the injustice of it all. And perhaps you will continue to be a little angry towards those who seem to get a free ride. So let's just say it's because we're human. But even so, trust God to be just in spite of <coughs> your humanness and asking for wisdom to know how to act in situations like this and the decisions that you must take. So when the day comes when you may be the one who needs equity, as it surely will one day, there will be equity and justice for you. And when, we start, and when we start ready, we'll be invited to live in the kingdom of heaven with God forever. John chapter 15, verse 12 and verse 13 says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And remember Luke chapter 6, verse 31. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. 